Well, welcome, lovers of product. Today, joining me on the Product Love Podcast is Rohini Pandey. She does product currently at Square. Rohini, why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Sure, yeah. I started my career kind of in the same way a lot of product people have started, I think, as an engineer. And then after school, I actually decided to become a tech consultant to get out of the code a little bit. I just really wanted to learn more about client management, business development, project management. And I had a lot of fun just traveling all over the world. So consulting would seem like a pretty sweet gig. And then after that, I decided I wanted to go get my MBA. Uh, really just kind of learning more about that quote unquote business knowledge and getting classes in like finance and entrepreneurship and just knowing more about that world was really exciting to me. Afterwards, after I graduated from grad school, I then like learned about this role called product management. It was this amazing mix of everything that I loved between like tech and business. And so I started just uh, dipping my toe into, into that role. And now I'm at Square and I work on our Square Invoices product line. Let's chat a little bit about your experience in product at companies uh, of much different sizes, right? Yeah. So you've worked in your own startups, but you've also worked in larger companies. First, let's talk a little bit about the startups. Talk to me about running product in those cases. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us probably say the same thing as an answer to this of the scale. And I guess there's a lot of different inputs into what the product role is. Scale is one of them, but it also depends on the industry you're in, the company and its culture, the impact potential of your role, and then even just what that role needs at that time. There's like a function of time and where you need to kind of be putting more effort into. And so for me at startups, I think the role was a little bit of everything. It's very focused on that breadth of what you're doing. So one day could be into a product marketing, one day could be with the sales team, one day could be with engineering, trying to figure out a problem. And then kind of as you grow or as the company scales, or you move into a larger company, I think the biggest change for me has been handling the communication as you increase in size. So communication is an N squared problem, right? Making sure everyone is kind of kept aware, aligned and on track just becomes a more complex problem very quickly as you add more people to the mix. And so at scale or at the growth stage that I think Square is at, we handle that in a very Amazon, Amazon-esque approach. We are a very documentation-heavy culture, and that's really just to provide transparency across the org. It also, it was something new to me and something that I don't think I really learned in the, in the startup world because at a small company, I could just call in all hands and tell people what was going on. Can't really do that at the size of Square. And so having documentation that can be easily shared and consumed is really important. It also forces you as the author to write out well thought out, uh, reasoned explanations to things. And it's, this is something that I learned from our, our VP. It also allows for all voices to be heard. So it almost democratizes meetings in a way. It's not just the, the loudest voice in the room or the ones that have the most senior titles. So I really appreciate having a kind of like group documentation that can be commented on and can be discussed by introverts as well as by extroverts and in a way that's, that's much more community and consensus driven. 
So now are, are you an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> I think I am an introvert in the sense that I do need some downtime to myself in order to recharge. But at the same time, you're up on stage speaking right at product conferences. <laughs> How do you true. reconcile that? I think as a product manager, you almost have to be a little bit of both. Maybe I should say if you are an introvert, you have to almost force the extroversion in some sentences because you do have to have discussions with a broad team. You need to make sure that you can get everyone aligned and in the right direction. And so even though it's not my nature, it's still something that you learn how to do and it's it's not it becomes less and less scary. I still get worried getting up on stage. <laughs> I still have those nerves, but the more you do it, the easier it becomes, or I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that's true. So you talked a little bit about startups and public companies and how that's affected how you allocate your time, right? Could you expound on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, meaning like kind of where my, where my, yes. yeah, where your time gets spent at a startup versus a public company, you know, like Square. I imagine it's very different, I would expect at least, I don't know, but you tell me. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is again, just the size and sheer number of people that you interact with. And so at a startup, some of my time would be spent actually wireframing and designing things myself and handing that over and working with engineering because we didn't have a design team. At the size and scope of Square, we have specialists now, uh, specialists in marketing, specialists in design, specialists in finance and analytics. And so I'm not writing these finance models anymore in my own spreadsheets, or I'm not doing the algorithms that kind of power any of our products. The specialists are really there because they know a lot more than I do. And so I think a lot of my time is more spent on kind of working with those teams and ensuring we're all communicating and heading in the right direction. Do you find that is a challenge for people? Like when they have to move from being involved in a lot of different things to moving into a company now that has specialists for different areas? Is everyone able to make that jump? And what should people do and think about to make that jump effectively? Or I don't even say jump, but it's just a big change. Yeah, it is a big change. And I think it is, it's really about owning something yourself at a very small scale versus having a broad team that challenges and brings in new ideas and perspectives to building something even better. And so I think it is uh, difficult for some people to go from, you know, creating myself to allowing others to create and influencing that creation, but not actually doing it on your own. I think that the, the product role though is a role of like lifelong learners. And so you have to learn how to do each of those cross-functional roles yourself in some capacity, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to speak the same language as design if I've never wireframed or designed something myself. Same thing with if I've never been on the other end of a support call and taken a call, I can't really talk to my support team in a way that makes sense to that their day-to-day. Same thing with sales or business development. But at some point, you need to know that you're only going to have breadth in those disciplines And you might have depth in one or two, but you can't really scale yourself into multiples that will have depth in every single one of those categories. So talk to me about, you know, you personally, what did you like or dislike at the different stages? Mm. I think at this small stage, it was really fun because you are trying to figure out your product market fit still. And there's a sense of everyone's kind of in it together. It's a very lean and hungry team and you just are fighting for survival 
which is kind of fun at a, at a startup scale of like a zero to one product or innovation needs to have specific types of team members to collaborate. And they all almost have to be breadth types of engineers or product managers or designers. They all need to be able to think about the customer and also the infrastructure or the customer and the visual design, the customer and the business metrics that we're trying to pull together. And so I really love how quickly you can move at a smaller company and you're all going towards this goal of just finding that product market fit. What I love about being at a company the size of Square now is there's still that hunger and there's still always this sense of you need to run as fast as you can, but also don't break things <laughs> as much. There is this, I guess, line that we tell ourselves in, in Silicon Valley of like fail fast and break things. I think those should be decoupled a little bit. When you're a company like Square, you're dealing with people's money. You're dealing with the way that they get paid. Don't break that. Do not break that for people. That is their lifeblood, the cash flow for their entire business. If you're building maybe, I don't know, a dating app or something, you could break things and no one's livelihoods will get affected. Maybe. Um, but it's a different ballgame almost. You're really not just building for yourself, but you've already found that product market fit. And there's this sense of these customers depend on you now, still innovate, still challenge, because there's going to be new incumbents that want your business, but do it in a responsible way. I think that's a very good point, right? I mean, you often hear the, the break things mantra in Silicon Valley, and yeah. it has to be applied judiciously to exactly. like disrupting business models, but not, you know, breaking people's financial systems for sake. Uh, <laughs> let's chat a little bit about metrics. You know, sure. what, what metrics are important to you in product and how have those metrics changed as the size of the company changes? We pretty much have like these North Star metrics that we keep an eye on at all times. If things start changing or shifting or trending in one direction or another with those metrics, we start digging into it some more. But I think our revenue equation is pretty simple and straightforward. We know what inputs affect our business. And then we kind of double click into each of those inputs like on our, in our formula to learn more about what's going on. And so our process is kind of a series of looking at like the very broad high level and then cutting into the narrow specifics and then looking back up again at the broad level to make sure that you're gut checking and ensuring that you're not blinding your perspective to some sort of limited view analysis and seeing a local inflection point instead of thinking about, you know, global maxima or minima that you're trying to achieve. And from my experience, I think that that kind of framework for metrics doesn't change that much between company size. You need that high level couple, uh, view coupled with like the detailed granular perspective, but it just, it, larger companies or companies with multiple product lines, that analysis has a lot more input and in things that might influence those uh, numbers. Now, do you have specific metrics you look at? We do. I don't, I'm trying to think of what I'm allowed to share. <laughs> and I think like the things that aren't going to be surprising are going to be, you know, the, the number of monthly active sellers we have on our system. We also look at 
our quote unquote like magic number, which is when do people start becoming active sellers on Square or Square invoices? What is it that kind of converts them from, I'm just checking it out and I might leave to, I'm going to use you now month over month. And I'm, unless something fundamentally changes in my business, this is the product that I want to continue using. And so I don't know if I can share that specific metric, but it is something like the Facebook had a blog article about like, after you friend seven people, you become much more, the probability of you staying on the Facebook platform is much higher than you just churning and and leaving. It's probably the same with like Pinterest and the number of pins that you make. There's, There's probably an inflection point of, as soon as you hit five or six pins on your local board, you're going to be pinning a, as a lifelong Pinterest user. We kind of have the same thing of we're pretty sure after a certain number of a certain type of activity, you're going to be on the product a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. There's like that tipping point in a lot of companies where you do these three things, right? Exactly. You know, you know that you're either going to buy the product or continue using the product or be a monthly user. So I think it's important for any company to try to identify what those key activities are and then measure against that metric. Exactly. And it's and that's a metric that's really specific company to the company, right? And, you know, yes. when you were doing startups, I'm sure you had a different metric for that same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to change based on the size of your product and the type of product you have. So you had this great example of experimentation metrics and UX analysis from an initiative you you did at Square Invoice and you posted about. Can you share the details of that with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think in the, the article you're talking about, we we designed an improved, really an organized experience of our product that actually drove growth and conversions. And we did nothing else to change like the core functionality of the product. It was simply just kind of reorganizing that user experience for our sellers. And it highlighted the fact that great design hides complexities of something big and confusing. For us, that is the ethos of Square, where we try to make payments and the complexity of payments very simple, elegant, approachable, understandable. And so, yeah, it just, it really just highlighted kind of what I was most proud of about that blog post it really put together how engineering, analytics, design, and product work together, brought each of their strengths to the table in order to solve this problem for our sellers. And I'm not sure if you want me to go into kind of the change that we made. but Sure, that sure. Was, that would be great. Oh, sure. So one of our core pieces of the product is when a merchant needs to create an invoice, they go into, if they're on a desktop or a laptop, they go into our web portal or dashboard, and they can create an invoice by just simply putting in the buyer's name, email address, what they're invoicing for, the amount, and then hit send. The way that the form was originally set up was in this two-column design where you put in the name, email address, and then you kind of dart your eyes to the right and put in the additional messages. Then you have to dart your eyes again to the left put in any items that you wanted and then go across to the right again, uh, put in your price and then all the way up to send the invoice. And what we realized was there were certain fields that were being used constantly, really just the required pieces of information. Everything else that was kind of optional was still in the form and embedded in this order and structure that we thought made sense. 
but was never used. Our data and our analytics team just kind of showed us that. And so we took another look at it from a design perspective and said, all right, how would we want this to work if we only needed the simplest pieces of information? And just knowing kind of web design, we looked at like an F shape of you go from top to bottom, left to right, and the middle part of the screen has a little bit less left to right eye movement. And just rejiggered the form a little bit from the visual styling, put the most important pieces of information at the top so that the our sellers and merchants could look at it from top down, confirm that that invoice looks good to them, and then hit send. And that alone just drove new invoices being created and sent and money being paid in a significant way. I mean, I think that's an awesome story about using data to think about visual design, exactly. uh, how it affects someone's job, and how you can make things just much better by you know, optimizing things from a best practice standpoint. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We all saw that there was maybe a problem. Data made it very clear to us. Engineering had some ideas as to how to like now use that re-articulated form design to actually make the process even faster. And then, you know, design worked on the visual elements of it. And just it's, it's kind of the epitome of all of these disciplines coming together to solve this really cool problem. So... You talked about communications as companies grow, but even in the, the early days, right, calling a town hall when you wanted to talk to a, a larger group of people about some important issue. So let's talk about that transparency. Why is that especially important for product managers? Yeah, yeah. Transparency is incredibly important. I think the crux of it is really simple. It's that transparency breeds trust and everyone on your team needs to be able to trust you. It's honestly as simple as that. You are, as the product manager, leader, whatever it is, you're going to be interacting with a huge group of people, people that are on your core team, people that are cross-functional, people outside of your company. And if you aren't able to communicate clearly or be transparent about your process and where you are in that process, it just makes your job so much more difficult because now people may not trust you. People may go around you. There is just this element of teamwork and collaboration that will go missing. So I think that's very important that teamwork and collaboration needs to be there and transparency instills that. Now you've been at Square for two plus years. So a lot of things have changed there, you know, over that time. I mean, the company is just has a huge growth rate. You know, what have, have you learned from seeing that company growth and the change over that time span? Yeah, it's been, it's been a really fun time to be at Square. I think I keep learning from everyone here, honestly, in these two plus years, I feel like I am constantly learning new things. I play a little bit of tennis and I always make the analogy of you always want to play with someone just a little bit better than you. You know, if I play with Serena, that wouldn't be, that would be really fun for me. It would not be fun for her, (laughs) but it wouldn't be a great game because I would just, it would be a terrible outcome. Um, Yeah. And you probably wouldn't learn very much from it. I mean, it would just be you going and picking up the ball, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So if you're playing with someone just a little bit better, it challenges you to be at that new level. And I feel like that are the type of people that we have at Square. And so they, from any sort of role, any um, part of the company, it always kind of forces you to be better. And I think 
the biggest learning that I've seen is from our senior leadership and how open they are to getting feedback from the company, how flexible they are in kind of having strong opinions, but being open to changing those opinions if they learn something new, if they see some new direction that we should be going in, and also leading by example. And none of them have offices. They all just sit with us in our open space. And I, you can go up to any one of them, talk to them, ask them questions. And I, and I love that uh, the ability to not worry about what's happening behind closed doors. Great. So talk to me about the direction of the craft of product management. What trends do you see in the next few years? Ooh. You know, actually, I saw something recently on your blog post that piqued my interest on Pendo's blog post, the idea of separating the concept of a product owner in an agile world from the product manager and how those responsibilities are starting to shift and become more specialized, I guess, as companies grow. So I might even throw this back at you. What I'd love to kind of hear more about how, since Pendo brought it up, how you're thinking about the product owner versus product manager debate. You know, I, I do think that's interesting. I mean, not just from a Pendo perspective, but in general, you know, there's oftentimes that people try to push that all together. Yeah. Uh, I was talking with uh, an expert in the field the other day, and he, he was talking about how, like, some people think of product management as a development manager, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not what a product manager should be. A product manager needs to be that person that's that communicator, right, between the customer and sales and the development team. It needs to be the person that understands the market, you know, has empathy with the customers. And I think when you separate those roles out in a product manager and a product owner, you can have more of that internal focus on the product owner standpoint, where they're working more in a detailed fashion with the development team. And then the product manager can be more externally focused too. So he doesn't get kind of pigeonholed into that. Oh yeah, I never leave the office because, you know, I have to be doing this stuff with the developers on a day in day out basis. So, I mean, that's, yeah. I, I would say that's the short answer to that. So. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when you're maybe at the startup or the smaller scale, you're doing a little bit of all of that because you don't have enough people to specialize, but as the product discipline kind of becomes more formulated and we all agree on what that encompasses and in terms of roles and responsibilities and companies start growing and needing those specializations, to me, that is going to be an interesting separation of responsibility. Yeah. And I would say at a small company, you have to separate it on your calendar, so to speak. Like you have to physically change that hat and carve out that time because otherwise one of the two areas could just subsume all of your time. So it's, totally. it's hard to get that balance. Yeah, I think that kind of reminds me of like the, that maker schedule, manager schedule from Paul Graham of YSE. And like, you're wearing both of those hats at all times. And so it's probably not going to work out at scale. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It definitely won't work out at scale. So let's turn this back to you a little bit. Talk to me about your favorite software product and why it's your favorite. So I love this question. I think I ask it almost in every product interview whenever I'm talking to a product manager candidate. And whenever I get asked this question, I try to think of something new. So I hope I haven't said this answer before, but there is this company called x.ai, or there's the product is x.ai. And what they do is they allow you to carbon copy on emails an AI bot that helps you schedule meetings. And it has been a lifesaver for me. Instead of me going in, you know, when you get those emails of, 
can you meet for coffee next week? Or can I talk to you about this for 30 minutes? Then I have to go through my calendar and say, okay, here are the things that are open for me. What times fit for you? And then there's this series of back and forth email messages. And now I just CC Andrew, who is my AI assistant. And Andrew now takes all of that back and forth offline away from me and then just sends me a calendar invite when we've decided on a date that is open on my calendar. Awesome. Awesome. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so talk to me about words of wisdom that you would impart to others in product leadership. That is a great question. I think, I don't know if I have any words of wisdom. It's, it's something that I feel like the PM role has always been this balance of art and science. And so the thing that I will say is there's pieces that you can learn about product management and that's more of the science part and how to do the things that we do day to day. But I think the other piece is on the more soft skills. And really what I feel like I've learned the most is how important the people on your team are. Having a strong team is a rare and crucial advantage. So invest in the people around you, treat them with respect, learn from them, and come in every day as a student. And I think that's, that's what I try to do every day. And so in terms of quote-unquote, words of wisdom, that's probably all I can impart. I think that's great. And so one final question for you, which I asked of all my guests, three words to describe yourself. Okay, I like these. (laughs) So I'd say collaborative. I think like we talked about, I'm a bit of an introvert, so I, I can tell when there's voices in the room that I'm not hearing. And so I try to be as inclusive and ask for feedback directly as possible inquisitive because the PM position is a role that requires constant learning. And that's my favorite thing about this job. And the third word is probably flexible. One of my favorite phrases is to have strong beliefs held loosely. So being open to changes in direction as new information comes in or as situations become more or less ambiguous. It's a skill that I think I picked up from the startup world but it's been incredibly helpful to me when building all sorts of products and working with different teams. Awesome. Well, this has been fun. Thank you, Rohini. Thank you. This is fantastic. 